0: Hey, Tamara Keith here aboard a campaign press bus somewhere in Iowa. Thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Take a listen to Microphone Check, the hip-hop podcast from NPR. Hosts Ali Shaheed Muhammad from A Tribe Called Quest and Franny Kelly talk to the biggest names and the best-kept secrets in hip-hop, from behind-the-scenes players to the next generation of rappers, producers, and artists. Keep up with what's happening and what's about to happen in hip-hop. You can find microphone check at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app. Hey, it's the NPR Politics Podcast here with our roundup of the week's political news. And because the political news of the week is that the Iowa caucuses are just days away, we're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa. Where we're covering the first voting of 2016. I'm Tamara Keith, White House correspondent for NPR here in Iowa,
1: and here at NPR headquarters in DC. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover tech and the campaign,
2: and I'm political editor Domenico Montanaro. Also not in Iowa, but uh, Tam, you have a special guest joining you for the podcast there this week. And uh, by the way, where is there anyway?
0: There is a conference room in a, um, a motel somewhere in West Des Moines, Iowa, uh, and we have this room set up. We have a mobile studio, and we. Have have all of these phones. I guess it's supposed to be a newsroom, but it feels a lot like a pledge drive. Nice. <laughs> and I am joined here by Clay Masters. Clay, can you introduce yourself?
3: My name is Clay Masters. I'm the host of Morning Edition on Iowa Public Radio, and I also cover politics.
0: And we are super glad that you are here. Super glad. Super glad. <laughs> and we're also kind of glad that It's caucus time, it's for real, it's really happening. I can't believe it's finally here.
3: It's in full force right now.
0: Okay, well, it's Friday, the caucuses are Monday, and last night was a big night for the Republican candidates to make their final push for votes in a debate on the Fox News channel held here in Des Moines. And it started like this, this is Ted Cruz.
4: Let me say, I'm a maniac, and everyone on this stage is stupid, fat, and ugly. And Ben, you're a terrible surgeon. (laughs) Now that we've gotten the Donald Trump portion out of the way. (laughs) I want to thank everyone here for showing the men and women of Iowa the respect to show up and make the case to the people of this state and the people of the country why each of us believe we would make the best commander in chief.
0: That, of course, Senator Ted Cruz responding to the very first question from moderator Megan Kelly, whose question was about... Donald Trump not being there um she was the reason Trump said he wouldn't do the debate and um Can someone please jump in and help explain that whole saga?
1: Sure. So um, I guess that this really goes back to August, the first Republican debate where Donald Trump really didn't like the tone of questions that that Megyn Kelly directed at him. He said that she was biased. She was out to get him. That led to one of the first of many different like what did Donald Trump actually say? How offensive was it? Episodes we've had this election where he said that blood was coming out of her wherever, I believe was the quote. So
3: uh, he meant her eyes.
0: Well, oh, he right. said her
1: eyes and, and ears,
3: and then her wherever. Right.
1: So, yeah. so fast forward to this week, the Trump campaign was apparently aggressively trying to get Megyn Kelly taken off of the uh, the moderator panel. Fox News said, "No way." Right. And this really came to a head with um, a press release that Fox put out. Yeah. Do uh,
2: you want to? So yeah, and this statement from Fox uh, said, "We learned from a secret back channel that the Ayatollah and Putin both intend to treat Donald Trump unfairly when they meet him if he becomes president." A nefarious source tells us that Trump has his own secret plan to replace the cabinet with his Twitter followers to see if he should even go to those meetings. Wow, that is pretty snarky. That was enough for Trump. He bolted and he held his own event.
0: Yeah, and so that event was at the very same time as the debate in Des Moines, not far away, and it was a fundraiser, he said, for veterans. And here's how he kicked it off.
4: This is a really honor, and I didn't want to be here, I have to be honest. I wanted to be about five minutes away, and I've enjoyed that, I've enjoyed that. All the online polls said I've done very well with that, with the debates and uh, I've had a kick with it, but you have to stick up for your rights. When you're treated badly, you have to stick up for your rights. You have to do it.
0: Okay, so this drama is all very fun, Uh, but does it matter? Like, does this hurt Trump? Does this help Trump? Well, I think that, you know, Donald Trump winds up again, like
2: probably being the winner out of this debate, because, you know, that joke that we played from Ted Cruz wound up being his best moment last night. He wound up taking all the incoming and Donald Trump got to stay off stage while Marco Rubio and uh, Ted Cruz had to deal with video montages of their past, you know, support of immigration reform. You wound up having Donald Trump off stage and not having to face any tough questions days before the caucus.
0: Clay, you are an Iowan. Uh, How does this play in Iowa? Does it play differently in Iowa than it plays on cable TV?
3: I don't think it really does because, I mean, you look at what Donald Trump has been doing throughout this caucus campaigning, and he comes in, he flies into Iowa, he holds a really big rally, and lots of people line up. It's almost like you're at a rock concert where people are waiting to get in, and they're there just to see him. And it's very much different than what we have with, like, say, Ted Cruz, who went on this multiple-day bus tour where he was at pizza ranches and diners and gas stations. And he's doing it the normal way that people do when they come to Iowa. But Donald Trump has been doing things so differently and continues to bring out big crowds that this is just another stunt that makes him look powerful to the people that like him.
0: Okay, let's talk about the actual debate. What did the candidates debate? There, there, there were real policy differences, right?
2: Well, I think one of the things that was the, the main thing that they wound up arguing over
4: was immigration.
3: Now you want to trump Trump on immigration. Go ahead, Senator Cruz.
4: You know, I like Marco. He's very charming. He's very smooth. But the facts are simple.
2: (laughs) Immigration winds up continuing to be uh, the thing that divides Republicans. You had Fox News playing essentially an opera research reel of uh, where Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio have stood in the past on immigration. Here are
5: just a few examples. Watch.
3: Never support, never have and never will support any effort to grant blanket, Legalization amnesty. It's
5: like a Daily Show supercut. Or Tim
2: Russert. And this is not something that has, I have never seen that in a debate before. It's very difficult to do in a debate, to be fair about doing that, because if you do it to one, you know, you have to do it to at least a couple others. Uh, so, you know, when I first saw it pop up and thought,
5: oh, wow, it's just gonna be Marco Rubio they're hitting with this. You were co-sponsoring legislation to create a path to citizenship, in your words, amnesty. Haven't you already proven that you well, cannot but, be trusted on this issue?
3: No, because if you look at the quote, and it's very specific, and it uh, says... And then they
2: did use Ted Cruz, and I bet they had something in store for Donald Trump, and he wound up being off stage, not having to deal with it.
1: But I thought both candidates kind of, you know, I mean, they're used to, to reframing things they've said in the past. They've been doing it for months now, but both of them seem to say, no, here's the context,
4: here's what I was trying to say.
5: Was that all an act? It was pretty convincing.
4: You know, the amendment you're talking about is one sentence. It's 38 words. Anyone can go online at tedcruz.org. But still, that was very striking in a departure from what we've seen before.
3: Well, and I think Mara Lyson's piece uh, hit on it where she was saying that this was what the race would look like if Donald Trump had not been involved. And it was a very much Uh, different debate to watch.
0: And they weren't talking about building... Amazing walls
3: that Mexico would pay for and Jeb Bush looked really
4: comfortable. Donald Trump, for example I'm glad he I mentioned his name again. Just everybody was missing him um, <laughs> <laughs> Mr.. Trump believed that in reaction to people's fears that we should ban all Muslims Well that creates a, an environment that's toxic in our own country disparaging women disparaging Hispanics That's not a sign of strength making fun of disabled people. We're never gonna win elections if we don't have a more broader unifying message <laughs>
3: right I mean this bully wasn't there right
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Ader Peralta who works with us here on uh, works on the two-way blog he said it was like his schoolyard bully wasn't there and he looked really comfortable and he was able to walk home and finally eat his lunch
3: (laughs) nobody was there to call him Jebra like they show in the Saturday Night Live uh, that's not
0: real that's only Saturday Night Live I know I know (laughs) okay can we do a quick lightning round on everyone else who was on that stage and how they did or what their big moment was um John Kasich, Ohio governor.
1: Yeah, so John Kasich, what struck out to me is that we've heard so much about him surging in New Hampshire. He's gotten a lot of endorsements. He seems to climbing in the polls. But there were long chunks uh, of the debate last night where you almost forgot that John Kasich was on the stage. He seemed kind of out of the loop of the conversation so often. And it was just a big contrast between this this New Hampshire momentum we've heard so much
2: about. His moderate stances didn't play very well on that stage last night. He seemed to kind of lose his voice.
0: Chris Christie, uh, New Jersey governor.
2: I think Christie actually could have had a really strong debate and didn't do badly for himself. But the way the moderators structured the questions uh, and the topics, he had to sort of jump in himself and wasn't really able to get in the middle of the fray as much as he probably would have liked to.
0: Rand Paul, Kentucky Senator.
1: There was an interesting stretch where it almost became like a therapy session in the debate. It started a
4: couple of questions. What about questions your dad?
1: Before. Yeah, Jeb Bush <laughs> is like, fun. my dad was president, my brother was president.
4: Bush. I'm an establishment because my dad, the greatest man alive, was president of the United States. And my brother, who I adore as well as a fantastic brother was president. Fine, I'll take it. And I'm, I guess I'm part of the establishment because Barbara Bush is my mom. I'll take that too.
1: Talking about his family, he mentions and his I mom. And I love my mom. Yeah. And then it goes to Rand Paul, and it's like almost boiled down to, do you love your dad more than Ted Cruz does? And it was just like <laughs> such a strange moment yeah, where no. Rand Paul's saying, I do You've support my dad. I'm going to get my dad's vote. And so in no way I've uh, ever said that I don't embrace my father or love my father or appreciate everything that he's done for the country. I
2: think what's interesting about where that liberty vote Ted goes, Cruz isn't going to get my dad's votes, And it was just like family I remember, therapy. I remember Rand Paul finished in third place in Iowa with 22% of the vote in 2012. And he wound up with the most delegates. Mm-hmm. The RNC changed the rules the republican national committee because they didn't want Rand paul and the ron paul activists to again kind of undermine the system and wind up having the pauls take over again and it's a completely different insurgent that's that uh that has everybody uh, get all that taking advantage of the system
0: (laughs) okay um retired neurosurgeon ben carson
2: oh okay were you talking to me
0: i was talking to you
2: oh I don't think I what? I that, think I what? missed this. That was okay, one of That was one of the mo- no <laughs> This was my joke guys. Oh. Oh, You're God. ruining it.
5: Dr. Carson that's when that one's for you. Oh, okay, great. Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was like one of the questions came to Carson during the debate last night, and he didn't know what to say because he had been so far out of the conversation. And then he winds up going on this foreign policy riff where he's talking about Russia. Well,
1: first of all, recognize that
2: Vladimir Putin is an opportunity. And he said the U.S. needs to put more troops um, in the Baltic region. I think we need to put in some armored brigades there. We only have one or two. We need much more than that. And then he kind of got lost in the... This line of logic solution. where he wound up saying,
1: Putin is a one-horse uh, country, oil. Uh, wh- <laughs> what?
3: Uh? <laughs> what many of these candidates, like Marco Rubio, John Kasich, Chris Christie, what they're hoping for, maybe not Marco Rubio as much, but so many people are here are wanting to wake up on February 2nd and see the newspapers say, Uh, Ted Cruz takes Iowa. Chris Christie exceeds expectations. I mean, there's this (laughs) desire to wake up the next morning and see enough... I'm using air quotes here, momentum to mm-hmm. let them carry them on into New Hampshire and, to, and, ma- and maybe win there. To
2: get that third that third ticket out of he, Iowa, quote-unquote. The
0: proverbial third ticket out of Iowa.
2: Yeah. I mean, one of the other things that struck me, though, was Marco Rubio had a lot of religious talk last night. Way more than you normally see. People had been pigeonholing him as somebody who's working that establishment lane against Christie and Kasich and Jeb Bush. Last night he was asked about being a savior. Time Magazine once called you the Republican savior. Russia and, and he said, there's only one savior.
3: Well, let me be clear about one thing. There's only one savior, and it's not me. It's Jesus Christ who came down to earth and died for our sins.
2: And he said so it kind of like, that why that are you even screen. asking me a question like that?
0: It just seems like Marco Rubio is has continually had good to decent to very good debate performances. Every time you come out of a debate, Marco Rubio, people are talking about him, saying, you know, this could be his moment. And then he doesn't actually really have the moment?
2: Yeah, well, it's the year of Trump. It's the year of the outsider.
3: Well, and I've been at enough of these Donald Trump rallies, too, where I speak with people in the crowd ahead of time, and they say to me, uh, you know, they really like Donald Trump, but, you know, they also like Marco Rubio. Or there are a number of people, too, that will say, well, my heart says this candidate, but my mind says Donald Trump, because he could really win this thing against somebody else in a general election because he has that channeling, that anger that's that's in the American public. So, uh, you know, I think Marco Rubio is always somebody that voters have kind of in their minds as somebody that they could see themselves supporting. And you wonder how pragmatic voters start to get, because
2: the one thing you do hear about Rubio, as opposed to Cruz or Trump or Ben Carson, is that they say, well, I know Democrats don't really want to face Rubio and uh, we think he could beat Hillary Clinton. I mean, that's what everybody right. talks about. Can they beat Hillary Clinton? They don't even talk about Bernie Sanders.
0: Well, and, and this is the question uh, that we will get to in just a moment. Will Hillary Clinton win Iowa or will Bernie Sanders win Iowa? Well, we I mean, probably won't answer that question, but we're going to talk about it at least. Uh, but first, we have to take a little break.
5: Support for this podcast and the following message comes from The Great Courses Plus video learning service, providing unlimited access to a wide variety of videos on topics like history, science, literature, and personal development. You can watch The Great Courses Plus on your TV, tablet, laptop, or phone. At thegreatcoursesplus.com politics, they're giving listeners an opportunity to watch The Fundamentals of Photography, as well as hundreds of other courses, free. To access this offer, go to the greatcoursesplus.com/politics
0: So all this GOP fighting really has dominated political news this week, but there's still a lot to say about the Democratic side of the race, too.
1: Right, and Tam, you've been with the Sanders campaign. You've been with the Clinton campaign. Clay, you've been covering this for months. Just give us a sense of what's happening now with the race so tight.
0: Both candidates are doing multiple stops a day. They're going through stages of either sharpening contrasts or then not really sharpening them so much. Uh, Last night, I was with Bernie Sanders in Burlington, Iowa, and uh, he he was uh, he was talking about all the times over the years where he has gone against the grain and supported maybe an unpopular position, and he questioned where was Hillary Clinton all this time?
5: Check the record, find out where my opponent was on all of these issues. It is great to be against the war after you vote for the war. <laughs> It is great to be for gay rights after you insult the entire gay community by supporting DOMA.
1: Clay, uh, you know, you talk to a lot of voters at these events. Um, is there a is there a consistent feel to a Bernie Sanders rally, and how is that different from from what you what you hear and what you see at Hillary
3: Clinton events? Well, I can really say Bernie Sanders events are so much different than the Hillary Clinton events. There's a lot of people that are just excited at the at Sanders events. There's people that are excited at Clinton events as well, but you generally get this sense of, we want somebody new. We're sick of dynasties. We we don't need another Clinton in the White House. And they see Bernie Sanders as an alternative. Uh, Hillary Clinton supporters, uh, I speak with a lot of them when I'm there, and they say she's the most electable. They think that she's going to be the one that's going to be able to go into the White House and, and work with Republicans, even though she said at that first debate that her best enemy were Republicans. So uh, there, I just feel like there's just a much more kind of, I don't want to say grassroots, but... I,
0: I think that it's really, it's like a heart or a head thing. You go to the Bernie Sanders events, and they... They love Bernie Sanders. His supporters use the word love. They believe that he is going to make a difference. I've talked to so many Sanders supporters who say, you know, I just wasn't engaged in politics or President Obama. He let me down. But Bernie Sanders, he's real. He's not a politician. He cares. He's going to do it.
1: So, so right now, days away from, from the caucus, you know, get out the vote. Ground game is what's most important. We spent a whole podcast on that topic earlier this week. Clay, you had a really interesting story where you spent time with Sanders volunteers, with Clinton volunteers who were knocking doors. Can you tell us about that, and, and did you get a sense that their goals were different, or were they there having the same conversations and asking the same questions of, of the voters they talked to? Well,
3: it's it's kind of hard to compare it apples to apples, but just speaking on the mornings that I was out with both the campaigns, I mean, one of the guys that I was out with knocking doors for Hillary Clinton had been to a house three times and said, you know, there's almost this culture within the Clinton campaign because they've been organizing for two years. You know, there was the I'm ready for Hillary pack that they were a part of before her campaign came to fruition fruition. And he had been working on the wife, and he'd never met the husband before. And you could just tell that they've spent a lot of hours knocking on doors uh, throughout Des Moines and other parts of the state. And then also when I was out with the Sanders campaign, you know, they met in a parking lot of an Aldi grocery store, and they went to go knock doors in a uh, lower income part of Des Moines that doesn't get hit. You know, we'd be walking for a whole block and wouldn't even get to a door that was a registered voter. You know, they're just looking for people that they think will cling to what Sanders is is saying when he's speaking on what he believes in.
0: One other thing that I've been noticing in talking to Hillary Clinton supporters, especially her volunteers, is that they have an enthusiasm that we shouldn't underestimate. Uh, and in part, that comes from... Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, in events that are not publicized in the media, have been giving these people real face time. These folks who are putting in time, knocking on doors, making phone calls, they have spent time with Hillary Clinton. They feel, and, and we just haven't reported on it really because it hasn't been in the public, but they feel a, a genuine connection to the candidate because they They've spent time with her.
2: It's so interesting, right? Because usually money is what gets you access, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? And I think the Clinton campaign learned the lessons of 08 with that, too, because they only really started that kind of outreach only a few weeks before the election. And I think that they've, they've seen the mistakes this time. Plus, she can't afford to lose Iowa if Sanders wins New Hampshire. That would be a complete disaster for them because they would lose Iowa and New Hampshire. So a lot of Clinton's campaign rests on winning Iowa.
3: And, side note here, the most bizarre door that I was uh, with one of these volunteers where they were knocking uh, came from a voter who said, Yeah, I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton if I vote for a Democrat, if I vote for a Republican. I also really like Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. Oh, my goodness.
0: So, actually, one- I've seen that before, too, actually knocking on doors, which just tells you. People aren't nearly as like strictly partisan as as we assume that they are. And they're
2: also not as engaged in this process as political reporters like us like to think they are. You know, I mean, when you look at Iowa, for example, there's three point one million people live in Iowa, two million registered voters. What was the record? In 2008, 240,000 Democrats voted, 150,000 Republicans. That is a tiny, tiny sliver of the rest of the
0: state. OK, next we're going to a listener question. And Clay, it has to do with your fair state of Iowa. Okay. And we'll get to that right after this quick break.
5: We'd like to say a quick thank you to one of our sponsors who brings us the following message. Stamps.com. Stamps.com helps businesses avoid time-consuming trips to the post office. With Stamps.com, use your own computer and printer to print official U.S. postage for any letter or package, then the mail carrier picks it up. No more wasting time going to the post office or wasting money on expensive postage meters. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com for a special offer, a four-week trial, plus postage, and a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone, and type in POLITICS. We're back. And
0: first of all, dear listeners, thank you so much for submitting your questions via email and Twitter. And if this podcast leaves you uh, with questions, send us a note at NPRpolitics at NPR.org. This week, we got one from a listener, uh, Nick, who wrote... The polls in Iowa are all over the place. Some have Clinton up, some have Sanders up. But none are taking into account that in many districts, O'Malley is likely to be non-viable. Is there a sense where his supporters will go and who they support? And Clay, I think first you need to explain what non-viable means.
3: That I can definitely do. So if you're non-viable, first you kind of have to explain how the Democratic caucus works. It's different than the Republican one. You hear that all the time. Uh, The Democratic caucus, you break off into these little chunks, and you physically stand in different parts of the room uh, declaring your support for whatever candidate, and if you don't get 15%, then that candidate's supporters have to find somebody else to support. And so this question gets to, who are those O'Malley supporters going to be going to? I'm sorry, Nick, I don't really have a good answer. I mean, I, I feel like there is a, a, a large portion of them that might be interested in what Hillary Clinton can do. You know, Martin O'Malley had supported her in previous elections, but there are people that like O'Malley because he is not Hillary Clinton. And we
0: should say Martin O'Malley is the former Maryland governor uh, who has been polling generally speaking, somewhere between an asterisk and about 4%. And, and that's a long way from 15%. But
1: I think one thing that kind of crystallized that was a moment at CNN's uh, town hall forum this week where, where Chris Cuomo basically asked O'Malley.
3: Uh, so if you don't have 15% of the caucusers in that room, those men and women have to go to a different candidate. So if you don't have that and your followers now have to go to somewhere else, the people who support you, what is your suggestion to them?
0: This, uh, it's a mean question. Yeah. One of the reasons why
3: why the polls back east can never figure out how the caucuses work is because it's a very organic thing. And uh, so my message to, to the O'Malley supporters across this state is this. Hold strong at your caucus.
2: And, you know, what else is he supposed to say to that? I mean, I thought it was, you know... It, the question made me cringe because none of the people at that town hall were asking, you know, process questions. They were asking stuff about what happens in their life. And, and how's he supposed to respond to that?
3: And I've seen Martin O'Malley give a lot of speeches and, I, and I, I haven't seen one recently, but almost all of them start with, hello, I'm Martin O'Malley and I need your help. Yeah. I mean, like that's he's still introducing himself. I might wow. tell you everything. He
0: started using that line back in July, at least.
1: I do know an O'Malley supporter, a big Martin O'Malley supporter. It's my mother-in-law. Unfortunately for Martin O'Malley, she is one state west and lives in Nebraska and cannot help out in the caucuses.
3: Go Huskers.
0: (laughs) Okay, now it's time for Can't Let It Go, the final segment of the show where we all share something that we just can't stop thinking about, politics or otherwise. Clay, since you're the guest... Go first, please.
3: Well, like most Iowans, I just can't let ethanol go. Uh, (laughs) Ethanol continues to be something that people argue about over on the campaign trail. But really, back in October, I did a story about uh, how ethanol has not been the force in Iowa politics that it had been in years past. And it's kind of re-emerged here recently. It's blending into the topics more. <laughs> and, uh, oh, <laughs> <an> Ethanol puns. <laughs> yeah, wow. I'm, I'm full of them. But you have Donald Trump who's attacking Ted Cruz over his stance on ethanol in uh, the renewable fuel standard. That is how much ethanol will be blended into the gasoline supply. So it's, it's almost like Donald Trump has just found something that he can hammer away at Ted Cruz and make him constantly have to uh, I- explain himself on. It's, it's not as sexy as maybe other topics, but ethanol. I, I just can't let it. But
2: well, what's fascinating to me about ethanol finally coming back in the last couple of weeks here with uh, Ted Cruz uh, being hit on it by the Iowa Governor Terry Branstead and uh, Cruz's not uh, you know his lack of support for the renewable fuel standard. What's really striking to me is that this has been a campaign that's pretty much focused on national politics, not local issues. And now finally, we're having a little bit of the local uh, issues come back when used to be dominated by that.
0: It's
3: making things kind of interesting.
0: Scott Detrow? What what's on tap for you this week?
2: So uh,
1: what I can't let go is the uh, the latest evolution of social media and politics. Uh, this week we saw for the first time the negative Snapchat filter.
0: <laughs> okay. For for those of us who are over the age of 17, can you describe a Snapchat filter, please?
1: Sure thing. So uh, anybody like, you're, you're right, 25 or younger is probably going to cringe as I try to describe this. But in Snapchat, when you take pictures, they give you options when you swipe to to kind of put a filter on. And usually it's it's geocoded, it's geofenced to, to where you are. So if you're here in D.C., you can have something that says like Washington, D.C., and there's pictures of mon- monuments and things like that. And we've seen campaigns uh buy filters over the course of the campaign. The Kasich campaign was the first to do this, and they had, like, bacon-related filters where bacon made the shape of an American flag, and it said, you know, John Kasich for president. So you've seen this in kind of a goofy way, but the Ted Cruz campaign this week bought filters for Snapchat they geofenced them to the Donald Trump rally that he had in Des Moines last night, as well as the debate site, so that people taking uh, pictures and, and snapping at these sites could have this filter that basically trolls Donald Trump. It says ducking Donald, and it's a rubber duck with Donald Trump hair. So oh my
0: God. <laughs> a oh,
1: negative man. Snapchat filter is something that a campaign spent money on. We've also seen on the Democratic side, the Bernie Sanders campaign has had get out the vote. Themed uh, snaps that they rolled out in the last week,
0: and I uh, I saw the Bernie Sanders one, at least one of them, and it's like a little cartoonish Bernie with the glasses and the hair, and he's holding a match.
2: <laughs> Feel the burn.
1: Feel the burn. Feel
0: the burn. Oh.
1: So, so we've seen all the campaigns have been very active on Snapchat this cycle. I think the there's still a lot of debate about about the value of this. I mean, how many voters this is persuading? And I have had several people from campaigns tell me that when they make purchases like this, the main reason is to get get people like us talking about it rather than actually convincing Snapchat users. But this is something we're seeing more of, and that's likely going to continue over the course of the
4: election.
0: So my can't let it go is in honor of our colleague Sam Sanders, who is traveling today. Last week on the podcast, he couldn't let go of Donald Trump calling Second Corinthians Two Corinthians uh, at Liberty University, the uh, Evangelical University. And so he put out a call on the last podcast for people to send in jokes, uh, starting with two Corinthians walk into a bar. And uh, we have a few of them. I I need someone to explain this one to me. (laughs) This is pathetic. Okay, here we go. Two Corinthians walk into a bar. One says to the other, Paul is really on our case. What should we do? The other says... Just ignore him. Brother Donald says he's a loser. Nobody reads his stuff.
2: Oh, put <laughs> him. <laughs>
0: and, and that comes to us from Neil McGovern in Walnut Creek, California. Okay, someone please translate this for me.
1: Right, Catholic school education to the rescue here. Uh, the books of Corinthians are actually letters that, that Paul wrote to Corinthians kind of explaining Christianity and how to practice and, and how to view their faith. I think the most famous part of this is the uh, the reading that you often hear at weddings about mm-hmm. love is patient, love is kind, things like that. So, uh yeah, they're just tired of Paul's advice, I
0: guess. Too lectury. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have one more. This one comes from Et Joe Ruiz, the res on Twitter. And he says, in light of Two Corinthians discussion on NPR politics, have you heard of Donald Trump's favorite rapper, Second Pock? Oh, <laughs> nice! I, like that yeah. one. I get that one. That's good. <laughs>
3: that's
1: easy to follow.
0: <laughs> yeah. And Daily squeaky... Show had
1: a good one. Two Corinthians, two furious. When this first
2: started, oh, I oh, thats that. Right, yeah. mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Domenico Montanaro, uh, what can't you let go of?
2: Well, we saw this video of Mike Huck- that Mike Huckabee's campaign put out in the vein of Adele's Hello, and it's Hello. somebody else. Yep, yeah, that's it. Sure and somebody else was singing it really off pitch and it was huckabee kind of looking chagrined at times talking about how he got he's gotten gangrene in the cold
5: i got frostbite gangrene
2: you can be cold right but put mittens on or something i don't know why you have to get gangrene uh and he's done this before and it, it's just
0: wait wait what has he done before been to iowa Oh. Okay. Campaigned
2: <laughs> you know, he won the caucuses the in two thousand eight. Like it's not like new to him that it's cold there. Um but
5: yeah. Hello from the caucus now
3: if Bernie wins
1: and when the campaign sent it out it i think the the subject line was check out our hilarious new video. It was hilarious? Yeah, that's
2: that's how they framed I it. I actually thought it was an attack ad.
3: <laughs> well, they're just really interested in going viral with whatever they can. It's almost like they're looking for something bizarre.
2: Yeah, and I guess we're well, mentioning his it name, was... but yeah, and whenever the thing is with me though, every time I hear that song, and maybe it shows my age here, I just think of Lionel Richie. And then like, you know, she says hello and I say is it me you're looking for? <laughs>
3: Which Mike Huckabee might be asking that question.
0: And with that, I think I have a campaign bus to catch or something. Um, Let us know if you like the show. Find us on Twitter. You can also email us at nprpolitics at npr.org. And catch our political coverage on your local public radio station as well. I'm Tamara Keith, White House correspondent for NPR. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover tech in the campaign.
3: Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And I'm Clay Masters with Iowa Public Radio. Thanks for having me.
0: Clay, thanks for being with us. Yeah, man. Happy eve 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 of caucus day why thank you (laughs) and we'll be back with an episode wrapping up the results of the caucus on tuesday until then thanks for listening to the npr politics podcast